The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. This morning it's my privilege to introduce the Reverend Tom Morrison for our chapel this morning. Uh, the Reverend Morrison is currently senior pastor of High Desert United Reformed Church in Victorville, California. That is right, Victorville, California. That's 120 miles from here. So we're delighted that he took time out of his very busy schedule to drive down here uh, to minister to us this morning. Uh, prior to that, he was a campus minister for the PCA, Reformed University Fellowship at Yale, also associate pastor at Christ PCA in New Haven, Connecticut and he received his MDiv from Gordon-Conwell, but we won't hold that against him, shall we? Although he did tell me this morning as we were talking that he did visit here some 18 years ago as he was considering seminaries, uh, but he was ministering and working in the Boston area, so it seemed fitting uh, for him to go there. But he's back, and we're delighted that you're here visiting us again after 18 years. Please bring God's word to us. Good to have you. Well, I'll be preaching from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34 this morning. The economy has been in the tank for years. Banks continue to fail. Unemployment remains high. And some even talk about some of the basic necessities of life, some of the staples like eggs and milk uh, that will not be available because the economy is so bad. Well, in this passage, Jesus offers real comfort. Jesus teaches you not to be Uh, worrisome about earthly necessities. And he mentions food and clothing, but this stands for anything that is necessary in this life. It could be uh, food, clothing, uh, jobs, uh, money. All these things, Jesus promises, will be given to you. Now, usually this passage is interpreted something like this. You never have to be anxious in this life because God will always provide for your needs. Food, clothing, shelter, what have you. If you're a Christian, God will provide for these things. But there are two big problems with this interpretation. The first is, the scriptures are very clear that many Christians go without, and many Christians today um, go without, and some die because of uh, exposure. And second, Jesus doesn't promise that you will never go without physical temporal things. So we have to ask the question, what is Jesus teaching in this passage? Well, first of all, Jesus teaches you that you must value the kingdom of God above all. The way he puts it is you must not treasure earthly things, you must treasure heavenly things. And of course, to lay up or to store is the act of trying to protect and preserve something for future use. And Jesus speaks to uh, people that held things very precariously during this time. During Jesus' time, um, to preserve something was to keep it in your home, uh, say money. Banks were little used or trusted. So what you did is you went to the floor of your house and dug it out, because it's a dirt floor, of course, and you threw your stuff into the hole and you covered it up. But before home alarms and other forms of security, it was easy to break into the home, And thieves knew right where to go. 
So Jesus speaks to people here that knew that they had to handle stuff very precariously. And he says, if you value these earthly things above all, then you'll be crushed when they fall apart or if they're stolen. But more significantly, if you treasure the things of the earth, your love for Christ and his kingdom will diminish and eventually it will die. No, rather storing up earthly possessions, rather than doing that, you must store up heavenly possessions. Of course, he doesn't mean by that that you should uh, work really hard so you'll have many rewards in heaven. Jesus rather uses the metaphor of heavenly treasures to describe what you are to prioritize. You are to prioritize your soul, the kingdom of God, what Jesus teaches. This is far more valuable than earthly stuff. After all, where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart, the center of your life and commitment and being, will follow what you love. If you love stuff, that's where your heart will be. If you love God, that's where your heart will be. So it's very simple. Thus, Jesus argues for a singular love and commitment to God and his kingdom. In verse 22, he teaches that your eye must be healthy, literally singular. If your eye is bad, literally evil, then you will be full of great darkness. So during this time, if you had an evil eye, it meant that you were greedy or covetous. Avoid such folly, Jesus says, and be focused on God and his kingdom. Indeed, you can only have one master. In the context of the struggles in this world, it will either be God or money. And the scriptures say in several places that you must keep your life free from the love of money. Not free from money, but free from the love of money. This earnest appeal is issued because it is natural to love money. And if you do so, your love will be drawn away from God. Even the common and necessary things of life can distract you and draw your love away from God. And why is that? Well, it's because you naturally believe that you are in ultimate control of basic human necessities, like food and clothing. So you feel that you need to worry about obtaining them. But Jesus teaches not to be anxious or worry because God will provide for all of these things. So let's ask ourselves what it means to be anxious. It is to be distracted, it is to be unduly concerned about life, it is to be obsessed, it is to be sleepless, it is to stay up at night worrying about your future and how you will provide for your family, whether you'll get your call to ministry or get into the right grad school after this or publish the paper. It is to work through many different terrible scenarios of what may happen to you. But to do all of this is to effectively deny that God provides. And you think, well, I provide. But Jesus says here, no, I provide. God provides for your needs. So he says, look at the silly, insignificant birds of the air. They don't work for their food. They don't store it up. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Or you're not more significant and valuable than these silly little birds. Look at the lilies of the field. They also don't work to be clothed yet they looked far better than Solomon ever did. And if God so clothes the lowly grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? If the common things of the creation are taken care of, 
Jesus argues, then the crown of creation mankind certainly is taken care of. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Gentiles here stand for pagans who don't know God, but presume upon him to provide for them. And this is why you hear people cursing God when things don't go their way. That is, Gentiles, pagans, cursing God when things don't go their way. They've presumed upon God. They believe that he exists to take care of their needs. Thus, they are confused and angry and anxious about life when things don't work out their, their way. But Jesus says that's not true of you. You believe that God provides for all things necessarily. So in summary, very clearly, Jesus teaches that God will provide for you. He will provide for you all the necessities of life. Whatever you need in this life, God will take care of those needs. But this stands in tension with what actually happens in this life, right? Many believers have, and now, go without food and clothing and other basic needs. People all over the world, it's just not... Everybody doesn't live in America. That's, not all Christians live in America. They live in third world countries too, and they go without. And the scriptures are alive to this. Think of Israel and Egypt, God's people who go without. As you know, Job had some pretty hard days. He loses everything. We can think of the example in 1 Kings chapter 17 where the widow of Zarephath and her son are ready to die because they don't have food and water, this is, there's this terrible drought. And we have to realize that while the widow and her son were saved by Elijah, that many faithful Israelites during this time died because they didn't have the basic necessities of life. The Apostle Paul, God's hand-chosen man to go to the Gentiles, according to 2 Corinthians 11, talks about being beaten with rods, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, He's in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, from Gentiles. He lives in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And Paul says something interesting in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Well, there's great comfort here, because nothing can separate us from Christ. That at the same time, he assumes that, for some Christians at least, nakedness will be a certain reality. And today, all over the world, Christians actually die from hunger and exposure to the elements. So shall we argue that in these cases, the people that have died, whether it be biblical examples or people today, when they've died from lack of basic necessities, that they didn't have the requisite faith, that God was somehow punishing them? Well, no. Often it's precisely because of their faith that people have died. In view of what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, that God will provide for some very basic needs in life, how do we think about the fact that sometimes God does not provide? Or rather, we should say God chooses not to provide 
Well, in verse 27, Jesus asks, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? His point here is that you should not worry, but also it is assumed that God appoints the span of your life. God chooses when you will be born. God chooses when you will die. We have a doctrine of providence that says God's in charge of all of these things. And God may choose to allow you to starve to death. That is his prerogative. So in view of this, Jesus teaches you not to treasure or value above all things the things of this earth. He's in charge. He gives and he takes away. So don't value the stuff of this earth. Now what does that include? Well, certainly we know it includes the non-essentials. You shouldn't value above all things TV and iPods. We get that. But Jesus is saying here you should not value or treasure the essentials of life. And this will help us to understand this tension, how Jesus speaks to it. So, for instance, what do moths destroy that you should not treasure on earth? Clothes. What will spoil if you don't preserve it carefully? Food. Clothing and food may and do perish in God's providence. Sometimes God ordains that you're to go without these things in times of hardship, war, persecution, whatever it is. So the point of this passage is not to seek comfort in getting the temporal necessities of life. Do not seek comfort in getting the temporal, physical necessities of this life. The point is that you will get these as long as God is pleased to provide them. And in view of that, you can focus on the kingdom of God. Whom you serve will change what you value. Therefore, if you serve God, you can leave all the temporal things to him, which you're tempted to love and serve and thus be anxious about. Jesus says, do not be anxious about the temporal things of life. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. That is, God has given you the greatest gift. He's given you his son. You have eternal life. And if God is so pleased, he will add these other things to you. And because God does that, you can focus on the kingdom of God. But let's be honest, still we struggle. The stories of hard times continue. It sounds like the Great Depression. People are losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're losing their retirement funds. And when that happens, it's very hard not to treasure the things of this world. And you realize how much you do love them, naturally. So this is a struggle to all people, even Christians. Every Sunday in our church, we have a corporate confession of sin, and part of it reads thus. We have loved what we ought not to have loved. We have coveted what is not ours. We have not been content with your provisions for us. We have sought our security in those things which perish, rather than in you, the everlasting God. So yes, if you lose your job, your home, your retirement fund, it would be very odd if you weren't sad and struggling. But the point here is Jesus says you should not despair of life if these things are lost. He's comparing you to these pagans who do despair of life because everything they value 
is wrapped up in this world. Jesus says that's not true of you. You don't despair of life. And why? Well, the gospel allows you to be carefree, even reckless. You don't have to be anxious as the pagans are. You're free from such burdens. Of course, you must be responsible and do your job, but the point is not to worry when things don't fall into place. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God is your heavenly Father. Now your security is not on earth, but in heaven, to which all of your life is focused. This is where your heart is and where you wish to keep it, as it were, so that your love and devotion to God is not stolen or spoiled by worldly concerns. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So because you have security in heaven through Jesus, you can confess the substance of the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 26 that says that sometimes God will bring evil upon you for your sanctification. God brings the evil upon you. Therefore, bodily suffering and even death are not the worst things that can happen to you. It's losing your soul. But Jesus promises to be with you always and that your soul is secure in him because of his atoning love and his imputed righteousness. So all that to say that you can really understand this passage properly in the greater context of the design and purpose of God interpreted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God approves you and loves you in Christ, then he will certainly take care of your bodily needs as he sees fit in his wisdom. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the focus of the all things here is salvation in Jesus Christ who died for you. But also it includes what is necessary in this life to live as a sanctified person. God will give and take away as he sees fit so that you will rely on him and find comfort in him alone, not in the stuff of this life. As this happens, you will be free to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness above all things. And seeking the kingdom of God and Christ's righteousness now will understand that there is a greater purpose and end in heaven. In conclusion, you have nothing to be anxious about as one loved by God. Even if you are struggling to eat and to be clothed, you can remember that God has provided ultimately for you. He has not spared his own son for you. God the Father has not spared his own son for you. You belong to Jesus body and soul, both in life and in death. And that means eternally. God, according to the prophet Isaiah, says that all things in this life which create anxiety and insecurity will be absent in heaven. And heaven breaks forth more and more into this life through the word and sacraments. Not only will you have no worry but you will be secure in a perfected creation, feasting with God for eternity. That is your hope and your comfort through Christ. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, grateful that you are our Father and that you take care of your children. And sometimes in your divine wisdom and providence, you do bring evil upon us. You take things from us which confuses us sometimes and causes great distress. However, we know that you love us. We know that you are a good and kind God, especially through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you sustain us by the power of your spirit and that you have given us all thing, not sparing, things, not sparing your own son. Thank you, Father, for hiding us in Christ and giving us comfort in him. And we look forward to that final day in which we will realize that comfort, seeing Jesus face to face. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.